Lord Jesus, would it be that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts today? We want you to speak to us. We don't want to hear from a person. We don't want to hear opinions of people. We want to hear from you. And so would you speak to us? Would you change our hearts? And would you speak through me, oh God? Help us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, I want to ask you a couple of questions, okay? Um, two questions that I'm going to ask you today. First question that I'm going to ask you is, what would it take for you to follow Jesus with everything you got? Okay? Second question I want to ask you is, what would it take for you to decide it's not worth following him and walk away? You guys got the two questions? Okay, first question we're going to answer is, what would it take for you to give up following Jesus? And the reason that I want you to think about this is because we just finished singing a song about following Jesus. Second song we sang earlier today, uh, that uh, there's the cross before me, the world behind me. If nobody fo else follows, I'm following Jesus, right? Okay, we just sang that. But here's the problem, that we sang that song a year ago or so with people in this room who are no longer here. No longer following Jesus. They had their hands up. They sang the song. And they might have even meant it. But they're not here today. And the horrific fact is that there's people who are singing that song today. Who, by the time I get back from Japan, probably won't be in this room anymore. I've been with people overseas doing ministry. I've been people been with people here on staff doing ministry. I've been with people on this platform doing ministry, people that I've prayed with, people who I've worshipped with, people who I've studied the Bible with, who aren't here anymore. They haven't, it's not that they're not here anymore because they moved forward. They're not here anymore because they've shrunk back. And as I look at you precious people in this room, people who I love, people who say they love me, People who say they love Jesus. People who do love Jesus. People who love each other. The terrible fact that we have to face is that some of you, by the time that I stand on this platform and preach again, are going to say, it's not worth it. It's not worth following Jesus. And I think, how can that happen? How can that happen? And if we, if we took all those people who have left the community of believers and maybe even decided they don't want anything to do with Jesus anymore, if we ask them, what was it that caused you to walk away from such an amazing community of people and such an amazing blessing of God, we'd get a thousand responses, I'm sure. But I want to share with you guys what the most common response is that I've heard from people who have walked away. The most common response that I've heard from people who have walked away, who I've talked to, is this. Somebody didn't treat me the way that I think I deserve to be treated. Somebody didn't treat me with respect. Somebody ignored me. Somebody hurt my feelings. Basically, they left because they were offended. Because after all they had done to serve, after all the money that they had given, after all they had done to try to be a part of this community, somebody said something hurtful or didn't invite them to the party that everybody else got invited to or didn't invite them to be on the worship team after they'd tried so many times, or they were told that they had to show their backpack when the, by the, to the security guards when they were coming in, something that caused them to say, if they don't value me for who I am and give me the respect that I deserve, I don't need that. 
And here's the deal, guys. If your commitment to Jesus and his people is conditional on everybody in this room treating you with the respect that you feel like you deserve, and maybe you do, if it's conditional on that, then you are not going to stick around here for very long. Because it's not going to be very long before somebody treats you with disrespect. Just come and hang out with me. How long can we hang out together before one of us offends the other? It's guaranteed to happen. And Jesus said it would. Look at Luke 17.1. Luke 17.1, Jesus says this. Jesus said to his disciples, the people that he's training, are you disciples? Okay, if you're, if, you're, if you're a learner of Jesus, then he's saying this to you. Occasions for stumbling are bound to come. You know what the word is in Greek for stumbling? I don't do a lot of Greek teaching because people are like, that's ah, all Greek to me. But <laughs> stumbling in Greek is the word scandalon. Does that sound familiar? It's where we get our word scandalous. It's where we get our word scandal. And what Jesus is saying here is there are going to be situations in your life and in this church where you get your feathers ruffled and you get offended and you get hurt. I mean, isn't that the way it is at your home? If you live with people, if you work with people, if you drive on the roads with people, if you pass people in the supermarket or at Home Depot, if you see people, it's guaranteed that you're going to get offended at some point. The question is, how are you going to respond? What's your response going to be? We're all going to be offended. Jesus just said that. The question is, how do you respond? And I want you to think about this. When you got married, some of you still aren't married, so this is a warning for you. When you got married, last, last month we had Joe standing right here, Kiana standing right here. We did their wedding. They vowed to each other. I'm sorry for those of you who didn't get the invitation. Some of you guys are mad at me with that and left the church because you're offended. Because you didn't. Sorry about that. Okay. Everybody was invited. I'm sorry. Um, we, got, we got them married right here. When they vowed to each other, they did not vow to each other to live and love each other until one of them offended the other one. They vowed to live together and love each other until death. They vowed to God. They vowed to each other. They vowed to our families. And when you get baptized, when you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his family. You became a part of us. You became a part of me. You became a part of his family. And that means you're a part of us whether you like it or not. Whether you like me or not. And this isn't just a matter of preference. It's not like, well, like some people, I, I, do, I won't like others. This is at the core of Jesus' strategy for fulfilling the Great Commission. You got to get this. Because you're going to get messed up. The devil's trying to mess you up in this. I want you to see what Jesus teaches in John 17, 23. The night before you put him on the cross, before we killed him, 
This is what Jesus says. He's praying to his Father, and this is what's on his heart. And I'm inviting you to share the same heart as Jesus, the same attitude as Jesus. Jesus says, I in them and you in me, speaking of the Father, that they may be brought to complete unity, perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Here's the question. How is the world going to know? How are we going to get this great commission thing finished? According to that verse? I got two people answering me here. This is participation, guys. Cornerstone people, please teach them how to answer. What is the answer? To, how is the, what's the strategy, Jesus? Yay. Thank you. Okay. You guys didn't catch on. Okay. Great group of people, by the way. I wish you guys were in, all in college. Okay. The strategy is unity. And every year we take people to, to, to Japan with us. We, we just got prayed for, right? All these people going to Japan down here? You guys prayed for us, right? Yes. Did anybody pray for us? Yes. Good grief. Okay, you guys just prayed for us, praying for us to go to Japan. The strategy of our work in Japan is not us going to Japan and going through some attempt at theological persuasion. The method for Jesus' work in Japan is the unity of our team, the unity of believers. Believers who have very different methods, very different ways of thinking, different theological viewpoints. Those people committing to unity in Christ, even though they don't agree on everything else. And sometimes they even offend each other. In fact, if you go back in history and look at what has happened in Japan over the past 400 years, when the first Christians came to Japan and shared the gospel, people believed Thousands of people became Christians. Tens of thousands of people became Christians. And the first two groups of people that came to Japan who were, who were believers, they didn't like each other. And they told people about it. And the result was that Christianity, because of the disunity of the believers there, became illegal and tens of thousands of Christians were put to death because of the disunity of God's people. It matters. People, unity doesn't mean that we all agree. It doesn't mean that we all have warm fuzzies towards each other. It doesn't mean that we, that we like every irritating brother or sister in this room. It means that whatever the disagreements are about theology or the cover, color of the carpet or the way that we do the music, whatever the, cult, the differences are, whatever hurt feelings you might have, all those things are not as important as the fact that we are all brothers and sisters under the cross of Christ. Amen? Amen. And here's the truth that will set you guys free. Whatever they did to you, or whatever disrespect they disrespected you with, here's the truth. There is no person who has ever hurt you as badly as, which, as the way that you have hurt Jesus. Nobody has ever crucified you you put Jesus on the cross. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that you have wronged Jesus, then it's going to be really hard for you to believe that, that you should forgive the people who have wronged you. There is no person who has hurt you as much as you have hurt Jesus. Will you guys just say that with me? Say it. There is no person who has hurt me as much as I've hurt Jesus. Do you guys believe me? I hope you believe me, because if you don't believe me, it's going to be hard to forgive. Now, there's one more thing I want to say about forgiveness. 
If you will not totally forgive from your heart, you are giving the devil access to your life. That's what the Bible says. I want you guys to look at this. Ephesians 4.26. Look at this, what it says up here. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. What the Holy Spirit is teaching us here is that if somebody disses you today and you go to bed tonight with anger in your heart towards someone, it's possible that by the time you wake up in the morning, you're not thinking about it anymore. It's like, whatever. Not thinking about that guy anymore. He doesn't deserve my thoughts anyway. But what the Bible is teaching us is that there is a seed of bitterness in your heart that will grow. And some of you in this room have seeds of bitterness because of how some person or some church treated you years ago that gave the devil a grip hold in your life. And it's become so much part of you that you can't even tell that it's there. And that's the devil's strategy. Because the way the devil works is he likes to do work in your life that you can't see that it is him. You guys listen to me? And it doesn't matter how much you try to cast the devil out. It doesn't matter how you try to take authority in Jesus' name to cast the devil out. If you have given the devil rightful access in your life, the only way you will get free from that is through obedience to Jesus. And obedience means that you make up your mind to do whatever it takes to forgive the people who have hurt you, no matter how bad it was that they treated you. Because it still wasn't as bad as the way that you treated Jesus. So today, the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, today is the day that you get rid of that stuff and get the devil out of your life. Okay, that was the first question I had for you. What would it take for you to, to turn away and stop following Jesus? And, and there's a lot of reasons possible, but the most common reason has to do with how people treated you. And I want to say, don't let that be you. Okay, second question. The other question that I said I wanted to ask you was, what would it take for you people in this room to follow Jesus with your whole life? What would it take? And as part of that question, I want to ask you if you want that. Do you want to follow Jesus with your whole life? And the reason I'm asking you that is because no one becomes successful at following Jesus or beating the devil in their life if they don't want it. Do you want it? And I know how people think. If you ask them if they want to live a life that's totally sold out to Jesus, they say, yeah, sure. And asking them like that it's kind of like you guys asking me if I want to be a champion Olympic skier. <laughs> Dave, can you ask me if I want to be a champion Olympic skier? Steve, do you want to be a champion Olympic skier? Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, think about it. If I was a champion Olympic, Olympic skier, think about it. I might even get some endorsements, and I get my, my picture on the front of Sports Illustrated, and think of all the people that I could bless. Why not? Why would I not want to do that? Now, truthfully... Even though I might not mind being a champion Olympic skier, truth is, I'm not willing to go through the work to become the champion Olympic skier. I don't want to move my family to Colorado or Iceland or wherever you have to practice that kind of stuff and get up every morning and practice skiing and 
eat and drink and breathe and move and think and dream all about Olympic skiing. I don't want to do that. So if I can have the benefit without all the work, then great, I'll do it. But there are people sitting in churches all over the world who say they want to follow Jesus. Yeah, they'll follow Jesus. But the attitude they have about following Jesus, the enthusiasm enthusiasm that they have about following him is along the lines of me wanting to be an Olympic skier. It's like, sure, I'll follow Jesus. But if you are going to be a person who lives the successful Christian life that he's called you to live, you can't have that attitude. The attitude that it takes for Christ to be the center of our life is to make him the center of our lives. I want you guys to see what Paul says in Philippians 3.8. Philippians 3.8 says 9 there, but it's actually 8. Philippians 3.8, Paul says, I regard everything as a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, junk, all that stuff, all the degrees, all the cool cars, all the cool houses, all the, all the prestige. It's garbage compared to knowing him. Garbage compared to knowing him. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. You guys hear what Paul's heart is? It's like, he, I mean, Paul studied under Gamaliel. Now, that's not a big name for you guys, but the people at that time knew who he was. I mean, Paul is a, is a guy who people would have respected greatly had it not been for the, what seemed to be foolish decision of his to follow Jesus. He's like, I don't care. All I want. Look at, look at what he says in verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And the sharing of his sufferings, becoming like him in, in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So here's my question. Do you want Jesus like that? Or do you want Jesus like, I want to be an Olympic skier? If you're going to be successful in the Christian life, you have to want it. You have to want it. The cornerstoners, the, the college students over here are taking notes. Write down, I want to know Christ more than anything else. You guys can take notes too. I know you guys aren't used to doing that, but take notes. I want to know Christ more than I want anything else. Now here's my problem. Here's my problem. Here's what probably your problem is too. I do want that. I do want him. I want him, and I've wanted to follow him since I was a kid. And yet, as I look back over my life, I think about times where I failed to live up to the standard of holiness and righteousness that he's called me to. And I'm bothered by that. I'm really bothered that, by that. Because what Jesus says in Matthew 5.48, right up here, Matthew 5.40, he says, this is the standard. Be perfect. Be perfect, guys. Let's all be perfect. Be perfect. How? Like perfect like Pastor Gary? No. Like your heavenly father is perfect. Ouch. I'm supposed to do that? And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. And what I realize, and what you guys realize, is that there is this gap between the level, the standard that God has called us to and where we really are. And we feel the weight of that gap. 
And yet, the realization that that gap is there is exactly what I need to realize in order to fulfill the calling that God has on my life. So first of all, you got to want it. Secondly, you've got to understand that you, that there is a gap between where you are and what God has called you to. There's this huge dilemma. And the realization of that dilemma brings us to the point of utter dependence on God. Because if we don't realize that, then we think, oh, we're, we're already perfect. So when we realize that he calls us to this and we live at this, then we come to God and say, God, I need your help. Tuesday, we're going to get on a plane and we're going to go to Japan. You guys, the next day, are going to celebrate the Declaration of Independence. I want to tell you, just like I appreciate what Larry said, we're not de declaring our independence from God. We're declaring our dependence on Him, and there is no freedom that is available for anybody without a total dependence on Him. That's what God has called us to. And I want you guys to see that this is what the Bible teaches. 2 Peter 1.3, if you can put it up there. 2 Peter 1.3 says this. His divine power has given us, you people at Grace Community Church, everything that we need for life and for godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So what's this, what's this teaching us here? It, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, through this is teaching us that to live the life that God has called us to, he has given us everything we need. You guys see that? What I want you to notice is, how, how does that work? And he says it in the first part of the verse. He says, his divine power has given us everything. You know, you know what it takes to live a life of godliness? To, to, to live at the standard, at least for a few minutes, of what God's called you to? It comes from his power. And how do we implement that power in our lives, according to this verse? Thank you, college students. What is it? Knowledge. Knowledge. It's knowing him. The way that you fulfill the calling in your life is through his power, and that power is implemented into your life by knowing him. Here's the truth that will set you free. You have been given what it takes to live a godly life. It has been given to you, and the only way you can carry that out is by knowing him. How many of you guys want to live a godly life? How many of you guys don't know how to raise your hand? Okay, I'm going to ask you, some of you guys, are you sleeping? Okay, how many of you guys want to live a godly life? I'm, I'm looking at you. I'm thinking, what, if, you're, if you're not raising your hand, what did you come to church for? Okay, so let's try one more time because some of you still don't understand the question. How many of you guys want to live a godly life? Okay, thank you. Thank you. You want to give me a life? How many of you guys have found that it's really hard to do? Okay. Okay, if, if you don't raise your hands to both of those questions, then, then we should talk more. Okay? Actually, don't call me. Call Pastor Gary. Okay. I'm going to tell you how to live a godly life that is free from sin. You guys want to know the secret to this? Okay. There, there is an answer. And I know that people have told you all your life, you, you need to stop being bad. You need to stop sinning. 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 And you're like, I know. I know. And you've tried to be good. And the more you try to be good, it seems like the harder it is. And you still wake up in the morning thinking about what you did yesterday and going, I can't believe what a jerk I was. So I want to tell you, 
The biblical method to stop sinning is not primarily to try to stop sinning. Guess hear what I said? I would write that down. The biblical method to stop sinning is not primarily to try to stop sinning. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have enough willpower in your life to not sin. And here's what I mean. If I ask you to not think about the person who you're having trouble forgiving, what do you think about? I mean, there's people, all I got to do is mention that name, Fred. And you're like, oh, man, I can't, I mean, all these emotions start going up in your mind, right? <laughs> Don't think about what that person did to you. Don't think about your ex-wife. Don't think about your old boss. And that's what you're thinking about. And I want to I demonstrate this by putting some letters up here on a screen. On the screen, okay? I'm going to put some letters there. And I want you guys to look at the letters, but not read the word. So hold on before, okay. They beat me to it. Okay. Look at those letters. Did anybody read those letters? Look at those letters without reading the word? Why not? I asked you to look at the letters, but not read the word. And you guys didn't do it. Do you think anybody can look at those letters without reading the word? If they're about two years old? And here, let me tell you what the problem is. The reason is because you guys have filled your minds with patterns of thinking that are so ingrained that it's impossible for you to look at those letters and not read the word. But I want to show you the same word in Japanese, okay? Put the, put, put the word up there. And now don't go to the next slide until I tell you to. That says, everybody practice this, okay? Su, to, that, su, stress. Okay? That's a stress, okay? Okay. Did anybody look at that and think stress? Maybe just a few of the students that are going to Japan with me. Okay. Now, go back to the previous slide. Go back to the previous slide. Now, did anybody look at that word and think of ice cream or pie or cake or chocolate chip cookies? Anybody? Okay, a couple, a few of you did. You know why? Because they're always thinking about chocolate chip cookies. Okay. If you guys didn't know, that word is desserts spelled backwards. Okay, look at that. Look at that. Now, here's my question for you. Could you train your mind? Could you learn to retrain your mind in a way that every time that you saw that word, instead of thinking of stress, you thought of desserts? What if you just, what if you started, if you retrained your mind so you read everything backwards? Is, would that be possible? I'm going to show you it's possible. Go ahead and put the next slide up there. Okay, you guys want to read that? Who wants to read it? I'll read it to you. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Wow! Aren't you guys impressed? Don't be, because I, I didn't memorize. I can't read backwards that fast. Okay, here's what I want you guys to think about. If you learned to read backwards, if you learned to read backwards, would it be easy for you then to, to grab a normal book and read normally? I want you guys to see a short video of how our minds work, okay? Go ahead and play that video. Hey, it's me, Destin. Welcome back to Smarter Every Day. You've heard people say it's just like riding a bike, meaning it's really easy and you can't forget how to do it, right? But I did something. I did something that damaged my mind. It happened on the streets of Amsterdam, and, and I got really scared, honestly. I, I can't ride a bike like you can anymore. Before I show you the video of what happened, I, I need to tell you the backstory. Like many six-year-olds with a MacGyver mullet, I learned how to ride a bike when I was really young. I had learned a life skill and I was really proud of it. Everything changed though when my friend Barney called me 25 years later. Where I work, the welders are geniuses and they like to play jokes on the engineers. 
He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, the wheel goes to the left. I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Justin Sandlin. First attempt riding the bicycle. I couldn't do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. This bike revealed a very deep truth to me. I had the knowledge of how to operate the bike, but I did not have the understanding. Therefore, knowledge is not understanding. Okay, you guys want to find out what happens to him when he tries to ride a normal bike after learning how to ride this one? Okay, show the normal bike video. Okay, now I'm in Amsterdam, a city that has more bicycles than people. The question is, can I ride a normal bike now? I mean, I've spent all this time unlearning how to ride a bike. If I go back and try to ride a normal one, will my brain mess up? So I've tweeted a Smarter Everyday Meetup, if you will, and I'm gonna see if somebody brings a bicycle and I'm gonna try to ride a normal bike. It's backwards, it's backwards. This was one of the most frustrating moments of my life. I had ridden a normal bike since I was six, but in this moment, I couldn't do it anymore. I had set out to prove that I could free my brain from a cognitive bias. But at this point, I'm pretty sure that all I've proved is that I could only redesignate that bias. Okay, here's the point of all this, guys. You will not walk in freedom from sin unless you retrain your mind. That's worth writing down if you're taking notes. You will not walk in freedom from sin unless you retrain your mind. If you continue to watch the movies that you've been watching, if you continue to have the kinds of conversations you've been happening, ha having, if you go to the kinds of places that you've been going to, if you continue to dislike the people that are really irritating to you, you will never stop sinning. Romans 12.2 says that we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That means learning to think a different way. That means it's like learning to ride a bike backwards or learning to read sentences backwards. Now, what I want to do, I want to show you how we do this. So I need a volunteer who hasn't seen me do this Aaron the Cup thing before. So none of the cornerstoners can come because you guys, don't tell them, don't tell them what's up. But I need a volunteer. Dave, have you seen me do this before? Come here. Dave, off it. Max, Max, you haven't seen this before? Okay, come on, Max. Quick. Oh, Dave's already got you, man. Okay, Dave's here. We'll get you next time, Max. Okay. Dave, um, in the cup, I've got air, okay? I want... Dave, to do something for me. The air in this cup represents sin in your life. So, Dave, I want you to stop sinning. Did your mom tell you that? Yes. Okay. Did you obey her? As much okay. as I could. Dave, I God. want you to obey your pastors, and I want you to stop sinning. Okay. So, to demonstrate that, I want you to get the air out of the cup. Now, be gentle. Don't, the, Billy Myers in the last service smashed the cup, so don't smash my cup. Okay. <laughs> Just get the air out. I can't do it. Yeah, you can. Not without smashing it. I want you to get the air out of the cup. I need water. Oh, he's smart. He's smart. Okay, here's the water. Check it out. There's one way. To, man, you are smart. You can go sit down. You're excellent. Okay, thank you. Okay. The way you get the air out of the cup is not by trying to get the air out of the cup. Don't smash the cup. You get the air out of the cup by putting water in the cup. There is no other way. There is no way for you to walk in freedom from sin apart from filling your life up with the, with the pure Word of God and with the Holy Spirit. Good water. Okay, 
I've got a question for you about this water. How long will it take for this water in this cup to evaporate? Okay, if I leave this cup right here, come back here from now, there's no more water in the cup, right? Is that right? Okay, so how, how long will it take to evaporate? Two months. Dave says two months. He's smarter than me. I didn't know. Two months to evaporate. How long does it take for the water in this cup to start to evaporate? Immediately. You guys with me? There's less water in this cup than there was 10 seconds ago because it's evaporating. Now, you can't tell that. But here's what I want you to think about. You will not stop sinning by trying to get the sin out of your life. You stop sinning by filling your life up with the Holy Spirit of God. How often? Every day. I know you guys say every day. I want to say every minute of every day because every day alone doesn't doesn't work. I know that you guys have been taught daily quiet time with Jesus, and that is good. Quiet time with Jesus, no Bible, no breakfast, no messaging till you get the message, no texting till you get the text, until you get this text, no primping till you pray, okay? You guys get the point. I mean, every day, Jesus' time matters. But that isn't enough because the evaporation rate of the Holy Spirit in your life is way faster than the water in this cup. You need him minute by minute. In fact, you need an unbroken source of Holy Spirit in your life. Think about your cell phone. I got a cell phone right here, and the battery lasts something like um, 10 hours. My son Ian's got a little broken cell phone that he got out of the trash at, at Target that the battery lasts about 30 minutes. Okay. Your spiritual battery lasts about two seconds. I know that we think, okay, we're going to go get our dose of Jesus, and now we got, we're good for a week. Got grace. Steve preached at grace. Now I got enough for two weeks. <laughs> it's not enough. You need unbroken communion with the Lord, and that is the only way that you are ever going to stop sinning. Only way. I want you to think about Peter getting out of the boat. Remember? Peter's in the the boat. It's craziness happening, and Jesus is walking across the water. And Peter's, they're they're all freaking out, like, who's that? What's that? And, And Jesus says to Peter, come on, Peter. And Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks on water. He does something that's impossible to do without divine intervention. And he finds that he walks in water until when? I heard some murmuring. Until he took his eyes off Jesus. He looks around and he's down. And you know, I think I used to kind of think like he's, he's walking on water and then he looks around and then he's got this slow motion down into the water. No, he takes his eyes off Jesus. The instant his eyes are off Jesus, he's down. This is the way it is in your life. You want to walk in freedom from sin? You want to walk in godly life? It takes focus on Jesus. Jesus, you are my focus. You're my focus. We're about to end the service. And as we do, I want you guys to sing this song that Aaron, Aaron's going to come up and lead us. And he, 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 I want to sing that song again about following Jesus. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. We together as a community of people at Grace Community Church are focusing our lives on Jesus. And it doesn't matter how bad the person next to you treated you this morning.
Jesus is our focus. And if we look at him, we will not sin. Isn't that what Galatians 5.16 says? Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. In other words, you won't sin. There's a cause-effect relationship there. You will not sin if your eyes are on Jesus. And of course, we're not very good at that. We forget. How long, how long can you focus your eyes on Jesus? I don't know. It takes practice, just like learning to read backwards. Right, learning to ride a bike backwards. It doesn't work unless you practice it. So today, the invitation is, let's focus on Jesus. And we're not going to get this right for, it's not like we finally get a, a we, you know, we, we want a pill, right? Well, like, like, like a pill we take, and now we're good for the rest of our lives. Now I got the focus on Jesus pill. It doesn't happen like that. It's practice. practice more, following Jesus is more like taking vitamins. And if you, t- take a, you, you want a pill that you take once, and now you're good to go for the rest of your life. Vitamins are, you just got to keep taking them and taking them and taking them and taking them, right? Following Jesus is like that. Jesus, I want you today. I want you next five minutes. I want you five minutes later. I want you. I want you. And as we do that, we're transformed. It's the only way. So let's sing the song. Then we'll pray. The Holy Spirit is working in some of your hearts. He's working in all of our hearts. But he's speaking some specific things to some of you right now. You know what his voice is. You know what he's telling you you have to do. The question is, will you do? Will you do what he's asking you to do? Will you follow him? Just freedom in following Jesus. Freedom in following Jesus through obedience to him. Some of you need to Pick up the phone, talk to some people. Some of you need to go visit some people. Some of you need to do what it takes because Jesus is offering you a life of victorious living. 
He has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. Will you obey him? Lord Jesus, would you give us the strength to do what we need to do today? To take a step towards saying, yes, Lord Jesus, you're, you're my master. I want you not like Steve wants to be an Olympic skier, but I want you like Paul wanted you. I want to know Christ. And everything else is rubbish. And Lord, we just all admit that we're not there yet, that we need your help. That even the wanting of that is something that we need your help in. So would you help us, Lord? Would you help us? Would you train us? Would you help us to, to walk with you in the retraining of the way that we think and that we'd never go back, never turn back, and that we'd never let the pain that somebody else inflicts on us keep us from following you? And so, Lord, we just commit this community people to you, this family to you, Lord. We're yours, and we want, we want greater things in our lives. So would you teach us, oh God? Teach us, we offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.